Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. The problem is so big, and Jesse mentioned the eco-anxiety. I think it, if you can if you can break it down to a transaction level and actually those little things that you can do that can actually create a big impact. We spoke before about, you know, 167 single-use bottles would be the equivalent of uh, for one person per year. So just little things like buying a buying a reusable water bottle or, you know, whatever it might be, a straw or a lunchbox, um, just being able to attach it to that purchase and you can actually tang- tangible, you know, what, what your impact is by that, by that action. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We're proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse. They are the go-to agency for any organization with digital needs. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. A quick heads up that our Humans of Purpose Experience Survey is still open for you to tell us how to improve the podcast. Just hit the link in our show notes to submit your entry and the first 50 entrants will win an exclusive Humans of Purpose brand collab with Memo Bottle worth over $40 per reusable bottle. You might have guessed it from our intro, but our special guests today are the lively co-founders and directors of Memo Bottle, Jesse Leeworthy and John O'Burt, featuring special comments from sales director Chris Sneakers-Randall. Memo Bottle aims to challenge how we as a society think about water consumption and to educate about the environmental costs of our modern conveniences. Every Memo Bottle sold provides one person with two months access to clean water. I will say that despite the very serious and impactful mission Memo Bottle is on, I just love this organisation and its cast of characters. This comes through in our conversation that is heavily peppered, peppered with laughs, banter, awkward moments and more. At one point, I asked the most embarrassing and worst question to date in my four years of podcasting experience. The boys did not let me get away with it lightly. Memo Bottle have just launched their new stainless steel range on Kickstarter and it has made a major splash raising $250,000 in the first two days of the campaign. Just head to Memo Bottle to check this very sexy product and its associated campaign out. I'll pop a link in the show notes there too. Let's be honest, nothing really beats a sustainable and reusable matte black product. Get involved in the campaign which ends on 16th of September. There's a link in our show notes as I mentioned to get involved in that. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the Memo Bottle crew as much as I did. Well, what a delight. The night has finally come. I've got the wonderful Memo Bottle men in my house. Not Jimmy, he's at gym, a bit busy tonight, so we'll just we'll excuse him for the evening. We've got Chris, we've got Jesse, and we've got Big J Bert. Welcome, fellas. What an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us, Mike. It's good to be here. It's a bit of a mind-blowing introduction, I know. Um, look, we met at the Commons co-work space, but your story goes back long before then. Um, good way to jump into things before we heavily indulge in banter. It would be to get your bit about your origin story. How did you guys meet? How did you come together? And... Uh, What's the vision and the the reasoning behind and the journey behind Memo Bottle? Yeah, absolutely. So John and I actually met at Kinder. Um, we grew up in uh, Red Hill, which is just south of um, Melbourne. We yeah, we've basically been friends since primary school. Um, we lived together uh, during university, and then you know started Memo Bottle together. Um, but yeah, the, the origin of Memo Bottle basically came about um, due to two main reasons. One was uh, the single-use water bottle epidemic, and then the other one was uh, trying to fit cylindrical water bottles in our bag. And um, it was those sort of reasons uh, that we decided to join up and, and tackle that problem head on. You must have been very frustrated about the bag thing. You must have just been every day being like, it just doesn't fit. Like, I need to create a product to solve this. Was that what it was like? Oh, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're at a university and you just, yeah. you've just you got this cylindrical water bottle trying to put it in a, a laptop bag mm-hmm. and you just end up with a big bulge. And yeah. so, you know, we were looking at, you know, what are the other items that you put in your bag and um, over time things have just seemed to get a lot flatter so you've got a phone it's now completely flat and fits in your pocket you've got um, you know computers themselves you know used to be as big as houses and now Mm. they're completely flat Mm. and so like laptops fit in your bag perfectly books fit in your bag perfectly so why isn't there a bottle that was um, paper sized and super flat so it fits in there 
Yeah, and also um, the bottle that I have, the Tamimo bottle, is shaped like the one that was in my lunchbox from like 1991. <laughs> uh, and so I had a real retro feel. When I saw the Mimo bottle, I thought, take me back to those days. You know, just let the me good take old days. a good 25 years off the lifespan, yeah. plus plus, uh, and just experience um, some of that childhood joy. Was that part of the design thinking, like to go a bit retro? Were you considering like the kind of 80s, 90s lunchbox phase? Um, it, was, it was mainly just to go really minimal so just to try and strip it back completely just to everything that it needed to be so it was just you know completely flat um you know seamless design nice corners but then um nothing too fancy we didn't want to put anything like additional in it that didn't need to be there so kind of minimal approach to the uh, product design. Yeah, yeah. but also yeah. to mimic the international paper sizes as well. Yeah, so yeah. that tied into all of our, our branding. And, you know, that's the, that's the, they're the items that we are generally putting in our bags, those paper-shaped yeah. items. So. so who came up with the, the paper idea? Uh, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> and so what have you come up with anything so far? No, now? not really. Just no, just mainly managing the, the spreadsheets. The way I got it described um, about you guys is um Jesse's the designer, he's very artistic. Jono is the financial muscle and that's how this place ticks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's no. probably fair characterization. It's probably yeah, put but- nicer than we've we've had it put before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean Jono Jono has a, a huge role across all aspects of the business. Um we sort of like share a lot of those responsibilities and um, you know, meeting the middle on marketing and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But we, really we definitely have our areas, but we like like to join forces and steer the ship together. Yeah. It's, it's so a great okay. split of um, skill sets. I think we've both come from very different worlds and yeah. merged them together, and sort of uh, it's worked quite well setting up the business. I think so, and I think um, you know, super best friends since kinder, but obviously quite different personality types. It helps as well, like mm. complementary. You know, types. Yeah. yeah and you've got in the team. I mean, you've got um, uh, big dog Chris Randall sitting over there just having a, a great time as special comments. G'day, Chris. How are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're thankful to have you here, mate. Thank you for making the uh, 1.5 kilometre trip down. <laughs> <laughs> so you got Chris and you've got Jimmy. Um, you, you've got the the missus helping out a little bit. Yeah, Diana. Yeah, yep. Diana. So you've got lots. Uh, it's a lot of people now. It's not just um, a two man operation. Yeah, it's yeah, got a right. team of ten now. Mm-hmm. So it's evolved nicely over the years. Sorry, yeah. didn't include the Philippine staff there. That's so ten including. Mm. Fantastic. Yep. And Callum as well. Yeah, um, one of our designers. So yeah, I clearly haven't been paying enough attention to the about <laughs> us employees element of the page. Do your research. <laughs> Do your research. <laughs> These guys treat me real well. So, um, so, so with the sustainability sort of element of the product, I mean, what is the scale of the problem um, globally and maybe locally? And I mean, the simple is very the, the solution is very clear and obvious. It's just reusing the same vessel instead of many bottles. How, how many bottles does the average person go through a year if they're not um, in ownership of a Mimo bottle type solution? Stats are pretty massive. So yeah. about 500 billion single-use bottles consumed every year. Um, and, and that equates to around, 100, I think it's 167 per person. So that's, a, you know, the stats out of the US. So you keep going, couldn't you? A million every minute. Yeah, um, it's it's a phenomenal amount. And, yeah. you know, it, unfortunately that, um, that number is still growing year on year as mm-hmm. well. Um, and it... You know, Why it all, is it growing? Isn't that a bit counterintuitive, like with all the kind of uh, the pressure to not waste plastic and stuff? Well, yes. Yes, it is. But I think that it's, you know, it's a process of um, sort of education, but it all goes back to um, the habits, I think, that we have, you know, been doing for the last 20 years of that we've fallen into this way of, um, you know, using single-use products. And it's 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 been super convenient. Um but it's very, very difficult to change those habits and, you know, move back to the way that we used to live, which is a more of a reusable society. So um, in terms of behaviour change, I mean, that's, that's a tough nut to crack. I mean, do you kind of – how proactive do you have to be in selling a product like you do around what changes people's behaviour and what works and what doesn't? Well – what we try and do is to not guilt people into, you know, changing their ways, but to inspire people, try and make it fun. But, um, you know, the the premise of the product was to be convenient and um, it's just one of those things that 
for someone to switch their habits, you just need it to be, you know, as convenient or more convenient than the alternative that they're, they're currently, currently using. Mm. Um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of other things. There's like, you know, the amount of money that people spend on single use water bottles. Yeah. Um, it's like 1400 times more expensive to purchase, um, single use water bottles than it is to drink water from your tap. Yeah. It's, um, it's so weird. Like, I mean, and water water prices have gone up significantly over time as well. So you're looking at probably three or four bucks sometimes. And I remember the MCG last year, it cost me um, $6.50 for a water. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Clean me right out. Yeah. And uh, there was no pie that day, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've, we've fallen on hard times. But I think but, it's also just that the, the problem is so big, and Jesse mentioned the eco-anxiety. I think it, if you can if you can break it down to a transaction level and actually those little things that you can do that can actually create a big impact. We spoke before about, you know, 167 single-use bottles would be the equivalent of uh, for one person per year. So just little things like buying a buying a reusable water bottle or, you know, whatever it might be, a straw or a lunchbox, um, just being able to attach it to that purchase and you can actually tangi- tangible, you know, what what your impact is by that, by that action. Yeah. Yeah, and that I mean the eco anxiety thing can be all consuming as well. Like it sometimes it just it feels as though this problem is so big that you have no you can have no effect on it. And so like what John is saying is like mm-hmm. attaching um, the impact to the purchase. Um, it means that um, it can be quite tangible. So you know that you purchase a member bottle and um, you'll um, provide five months of clean drinking water. Um, or you and you also reduce 167 bottles from, um, you know, being produced. So it's it's about making it very clear to the person what their individual contribution to the solution is overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. And and how do you feel about? Um, obviously, there's a range of different approaches to behaviour change. There's fear or love. So obviously, you go for the love, like the inspiring um, way to get people to change behaviours. The other the other approach is the world's going to end very soon. Mm-hmm. You're part of the problem. Yeah. You should pro- probably bloody well do something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess both have their place at certain situations. But I think if you go down the fear path, it's a lot easier for people just throwing the towel and say, well, we're doomed anyway. Yeah. Which, which that love path, if, you know, every little step you take, every little action you make um, can create this amount of improvement. Every breath you take. Exactly. I was going to go that one, but I sort of push, might be pushing a bit far here. <laughs> That's why you've it's got me here, Joe, to yeah. just uh, just to put all your song, lyrics guys. together. <laughs> <laughs> so you're changing things a bit at a, t- at a time. Does that hard? Does that make it harder for you to estimate your overall impact, like collectively? Um, or do you just kind of know that you sell X amount of bottles? So doing the maths, that's X Y say per year. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so I guess we we've got a dual impact model the way we measure it. Um, and it is, it's cumulative based on bottle sold essentially. So on the one hand, we've got, um, single use water bottles prevented from going to landfill or just being consumed generally. So that's 167 per bottle sold. And then we've also, for every single member bottle sold, we provide five months of clean water to those in need. And that's, we, we just push that cumulatively. Um, it's on all that, all of that packaging and everything as well. So it's pretty difficult for you to buy a memo without knowing what the contribution is of that. That particular bottle. What about if I'm like a really sick yuppie with no conscience and I just really like, you know, the uh, the prestige of the Mimo bottle? Is that a problem? Not a problem at all. It's no. not a problem because, um, you know, you may buy the product because you like the design, but the thing is you're having indirect impact anyway. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, the environment wins. And if you're that sick yuppie, you've probably got followers <laughs> that are seeing you using it, which is going to create an indirect impact from you, those you people could, you, you could yeah. You could turn shit into gold, John O'Bert. That was uh, <laughs> magnif- magnificent, magnificent. Because, um, you know, I mean, for me, one of the most appealing things about the bottle is the, the design and, and the memories of retro childhood, but the layer of um, B Corpiness and, you know, doing goodness and giving back and saving the planet stuff just elevates it to a whole new level. So I, I enjoy that too. Yeah, yeah. Someone said to us the other day that, you know, I think people come for the design and they stay for the sustainability of our, of our products. <laughs> so, so good. Yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of the time we sort of do lead with the design 
aspect of the yeah. business. But that's you've got strengths in that area. I mean, you've got a designer. Yeah. Um, you've got a couple of designers, no? Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy's design Yeah, as well. Jimmy's a product designer. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the talent there. Is it limiting that you've chosen like a, a paper size kind of model for your bottles, like in terms of your range? Like, or, or it's just like you're going to be okay to depart from that at some point? Well, it's an interesting one. I think initially we thought it was quite limiting, um, but these days uh, we're deciding to embrace it. So we are working on a number of new products, um, which are all in the like the re- reusable um, space, um, and we're deciding to hold on to the to the paper sizes, and we're we're going to run with that as Fantastic. far as we can. And you know, it, the thing is, it, it is a crowded market. Um, like you know the water bottle market um and so it does actually you know it does make us unique and identifiable as well it's funny though we we started off by really pushing the international paper sizes which we still do but there's certain markets like the us for example they don't run international paper sizes of course they don't (laughs) so they're they're letter and legal as opposed to the a4 a5 a6 which we get does yeah, that lead to a, a big, big drop in US customers? Well, it, or like it created, unrealized potential? It just didn't get the cut through initially. Yeah. But that's when we started pushing it, not so much paper-shaped bottles, but it's just flat. Yeah. You know, so it's the flat bottle designed to fit in your bag. Yeah. And and the paper shape really gives it a nice little nice little, you know, niche and people are like, oh, that's a really clever idea because they associate it with those items, the yeah. notepads and everything. Yeah, it's just become the name of the bottle rather mm. than the fact that it relates to yeah. the paper size. Yeah. The best thing about your name is um, seeing it on the Commons building as, as I first work, walked in. I thought, oh, <laughs> who are these really important villas who have got their name yeah. outside the Cromorne building? <laughs> That'd be the old office that yeah. we never properly vacated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, I, then I get up to my freestanding desk and I, I see the two of you uh, hunched over <laughs> examining a spreadsheet beside me and it was just, just love, love at first sight. Magic. <laughs> magical moments. Um yeah, so where do you go from there? <laughs> so rhetorical, no need to answer. <laughs> All good. Do you, I mean, I mean, one thing I'm curious about is who who are your inspirations? What are the brands that have inspired you in sort of putting a product together this way? I kind of know because we've discussed it a bit before, but I'm really keen to see whether it's the same or whether you've got other influences you look at. There's a few. Like we, we get the inspiration from everywhere. Obviously, Patagonia is a big one from the social impact and just – Product quality generally, you know, it's hard to go past Apple and Steve Jobs. Um, get a lot of inspiration. He likes flat that. things. I feel like that's a good. I think. It, I think if he was still around, he'd love our product. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, he yeah, just absolutely loves you know the minimalism. Absolutely. Of, you know, stripping it all back. Yep. And, You know, it's pretty inspiring. So Apple's a big one. Patagonia. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I automatically thought Bellroy and Carryology. Yeah. Um, some similar kind of undertones of you know matching a really stylish product with an ethical standpoint yeah definitely there's i mean there's something about um you know seeing other brands from that are born in the same city as you and seeing them grow um so you know we started we 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 saw balroy and we saw um you know just the the amazing marketing that they had and the authenticity that they had um and just that dedication to you know really really good design um and so we you know we're obviously in a completely different market but you can still follow suit um with you know leading with those same passions Hmm. which is nice yeah i mean i've had my same bellroy wallet now for about i reckon four years and it's still looking pretty good i bought the backpack recently i got my dad onto the bellroy products so he's got one of their wallets now (laughs) he loves it they're amazing just the idea i think i'm not sure if this is a male thing so i want to ask you about who your customers are demographically but I think there is a certain male and female obsessiveness with how to carry things better and more stylishly because carrying has become, you know, an important part of commuting and daily life and whatnot. And I, I personally am always thinking of what could be better in the things that I hold most frequently. Like I hold keys, I hold my phone, I hold my wallet sometimes, less now because phones can do all that stuff. But, you know, what could you carry better um, and make more of an impact with? Hmm. Is that a question? <laughs> without, without ending with a statement. I've got to get better at the non sequitur kind of uh, <laughs> abrupt endings. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that wasn't in perfect journalist question form. I know you guys, you've done the media circuit, so you, you better, you deserve better. Does it, you all deserve better. Just answer me. 
Uh, I think you asked a question at the start and then you went off on a bit of a yeah, tangent. So well was it, was it, who's our demographic? Yeah, okay. thank you. Do you, want, do you want to be the host? <laughs> no, so um, demographic, so it, it's actually a, a 60-40 split. So 60% female um, customers, 40% male. And non-binary? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then uh, basically in terms of the uh age gap the age bracket goes from yeah right from 18 uh, years old all the way up to um you know 80 yeah. as well so pretty you, got 80, you got some 80 year old customers yeah dope. so the the small a7 is um you know it's sort of perfect for just like carrying a small amount of water around with you you can have a little a few sips as you go around and um you know keeps you hydrated do older people need less water um no, I don't think so. Tricky but question. Sorry, curveball. No, no, but I think I think that you know when you're wanting out to carry carrying, a bit less, yeah, probably so, easier. You know, a yeah. little bit less weight. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, forties. What else do you know about your customers? I mean, where where are they? Kind of are they international? Majority of our market is Australia, yep. the back backyard, um, and then after that, it's US. Um, certain countries in Europe, like Germany's and the and the. Italy, France, Hong Kong's always been a massive one for wow. us, strangely. Um, what else do we know? It's the creatives, it's the architects, it's the young professionals, students, yeah. those that are basically always carrying on the go, carrying, you know, smaller bags. They're or always in a rush, bags, high achievers. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, the, the, the split that Jesse just mentioned, the 60-40, I mean, we know all of – we know what the split is based on the sales from our website and all the data, but it's we don't know whether it, it's such a giftable product. Yeah. So we it's it'd be interesting to drill it right down to find out who that final end user is and and what the split is from that because we Very can't hard. really tell that Probably from the data. Really hard to know that. Yeah. Um, what about? I mean, you're B, are you B to B and B to C? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So selling to consumers just um, changed a lot over the last year. Yeah. Because you're doing a yeah. lot more B to B now. Doing a lot more B2C now. B2C, than we were. really? Yeah. Okay. Traditionally, we were 70% B2B. When we say B2B, are we talking about you make a deal to sell X number of units to like a David Jones at a certain price and then they just get to sell out of their stores? Is that yeah. how it works? So, so it's selling to retail stores, brick yeah. and mortar yeah. online. Um, and have you found like a really interesting like types of new retailers are wanting to sell your stuff now? A little bit. We've got a. We're sort of across the board. It started off with museum gift stores and and um, concept stores and things like that. So we were just doing a roadshow all, all around the world, sort of trying to land those and doing trade shows for a while. And and then it branched into bookstores. Um, we found some gyms like to stock us cafes. It's yeah, it's quite like, broad. Yeah, you know, lifestyle fashion stores. Yeah. And, any any um, industries that particularly surprised you? Um, what do we got? I really wish I had something really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Watch his face, probably. I, I yeah, wanted you to say face. something like, <laughs> uh, firemen really love our water bottles. Yeah. <laughs> just really- well, actually, not to railroad, but we had an interesting um, conversation with a, a Nordic store recently. About, it's a Nordic store? Well, um, in the Nordic countries. I think it was in Sweden, potentially. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, about providing slim water bottles to ice skaters during the ice skating season. Wow. So it's like as a hydration, like freeze the bottle first and then it's a hydration when it melts. Fantastic. So that's completely something that we wouldn't know about until we spoke to somebody there. What a, what a fascinating conversation that would have been. So yeah. chatting to someone in Scandinavia about frozen to liquid water bottles. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. wild. Anything's possible. Any, well, and, I mean, and, and that must make it hard for you to decide where to, where to put your eggs. Which basket to put them in, and COVID would have really thrown that out of whack a bit. Yeah, it has. We were very, we still are. We're very selective in in who we stock to. Do you um, look for values alignment, or what are you kind of looking for? Yeah, both um, values alignment, but also it commerciality's got to be part of it. It needs to be. Yeah. Um, how did COVID affect us? Well, yeah. So as I said, we we're seventy percent selling to retail stores. Um, we've also we've always been very big online and a lot of attention to our social media and I've got a really engaged community, which is amazing. But COVID hit and all of our stores started closing. Um, so we had to pivot pretty hard and and switch across to the online world and yeah, focus we, on the – We were at a trade show in, in Frankfurt at um, the start of 2020 and, you know, we we got there and there was about a 30% attendance. 
and we're like, okay, what's, you know, what's going on? And this was just when we started, you know, hearing about, you know, COVID coming in. And then we got home and a week later, we um, got an email from our Italian um, agent and they just said, all stores are closing. Um, like, you know, like all- Stop all, sending bottles. Yeah, all orders yeah. are cancelled mm. and you're not getting paid. So, <laughs> like, oh. okay, like, you know, what, what's going on here? And then it was basically, you know, country after country, the same thing happened. And um, so, you know, 70% our revenue just basically stopped, um, you know, within a month. Mm. And um, so, yeah, we just tried to to switch and, you know, the keyword pivot, you know, yeah. um, onto yeah, B2C and just try and hustle just to survive, basically. And what did you have to do? What are some of the key strategies involved in making that change? Um, well, like a lot of other companies, we launched a hand sanitizer. Um, so we, yeah, filled it in, you know, a six member bottle. Um, and yeah, and sold that, that went really, really well. This was when there was a, a shortage at, at that time. Very clever. And, um, do you have to like source your own chemical chemists to like to make the sanitizer or how does it work? Yeah, we, we used an agent. So, okay. um, you know, they had, they had their own bottling plant and they sort of, you know, took care of the hand sanitizer side of things, which yep. is at our specialty. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then we provided the bottles. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, brought it all together. It's smart. A lot of social enterprises at the start of COVID started doing hand knitted masks and hand woven yeah. masks. And then, yeah. you know, a certain amount of the money goes towards the cause. That was, um, it was interesting to see people's desire to kind of show their social enterprise commitment right on their face. Mm-hmm. It's sort of interesting, so kind of shift in how we think about products. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, the the switch to online was a was a difficult one because obviously you need you you need to expand your audience because you, you guys you were doing the Australian Open before you know the start of the year. We, we were, and that was one of the ways that we found. We, so basically, we were we realized we couldn't target to our, our existing audience. We, we've got a bit of a weird business model and we want people to buy a mail bottle once and then, you know, you go off and use that for a while. So you can't just keep spamming those guys. Yeah. Um, so how do you advertise to new people? You need to do paid advertising, Facebook ads, whatever it might be, which is a bit of a new world for us. And then outside of the the paid paid ads, it was collaborations and events. We realized that that was going to be the big one for us where we could really get our name out there. So we partnered with the Australian Open and did a nice big collab with them and had retail presence there. And it's things like that. It's, it's cross-brand promotions and things like that, which have been a big focus this year. How'd you go at the Else Open? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it got shut down halfway through, but other than that, it was fantastic. <laughs> Seems like you were crushing it the days that you were we at were. the Open. Well, it was just... We we met all we had met so many amazing people. You know, we were positioned right outside of the gate that went into Margaret Court. So all of the, the players would come out and we'd just throw a bottle in their hands straight away. And so that's influencer we, marketing direct. Oh yeah. <laughs> just like take my free shit now. Me and Jesse were the biggest pests that week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we're just taking in turns we're like all right you're up next and yeah. we'll like spot someone just run across and you know throw it in their face yeah. and try and give them you know the best elevator pitch you possibly can in five seconds by the end the tennis players were running away from us what was what was your worst tennis player reaction and your best tennis player reaction um oh you got a selfie with Novak, right? That's going to be up there. No, I didn't get a selfie. We didn't get one oh, with Novak. Novak? We're, we're pretty much best mates with Mark Phil Persis now. <laughs> <laughs> shout, shout out to Mark. He's probably listening. So. Yeah. Legend of a guy. Um, but yeah, no, Novak, um, when we went up to him, he just didn't want to know us initially. And then once we provide, like, put the bottle out there, then he sort of started to change his tune once he, yeah, he, he, he didn't mind something. But. Tried to give one to Curios and he flagged us away. Wow, really? <laughs> sharp, sharp he conduct. He, he was in a hurry. <laughs> he was walking into a match. Yeah, I don't think he was. Uh, two versions of a very interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> Had his game face on. <laughs> game face on, poker yeah. face on. So, ha- like, I mean, that's a very guerrilla kind of tactic. Just put them in the hands and see what happens. Did Did you have some success with that? And also, I heard that there was a certain uh, US celebrity who might have uh, got a hold of a, a Mimo bottle type thing and made it go pretty viral for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we definitely had some success. Like we had quite a few of the tennis players did post about it and sort of spreading the word in that community, which was great. And mm. I'll let you. Uh, I, was, I was just looking up trying to work out who you were referring to. <laughs> we, we, did, we did get the Kardashians recently, which was really cool. Is that what we were referring to? Yeah, yeah. That was. Um, the Kardashians, all of them? Uh, Kim and Chloe. And uh, I'm really testing my Kardashian knowledge. Courtney. 
Could also, be, yes. With, with, with a C or okay? Uh, I'd assume it would be a K. Yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> you know more than you let on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we would, we would like what, ha- what happens, like, when something like that happens and you know there's been a significant social media event of some kind, like, you know, moment, as they mm. would call it, do you then kind of look to track, like, an increase in sales or a differential, like, the next few days after or...? Yeah, well, it it depends. Like sometimes you'll see a big spike and then other times you just see nothing at all. Yeah. And then when you see nothing at all, or probably both times, it's up to us to really like jump onto, you know, that event or whatever happens and then push it across our socials and sort of spread the word as much as we can. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't quite take off. But, yeah. The yeah. moments are fleeting, so you sort of need to try to hold on to them as much as possible and, and push it. Yeah. Would, you, would you ever consider like paid influencer marketing, like uh, paying somebody to kind of tote around your, your product or would that kind of be against the norms of the, the company? We did it a little bit initially mm-hmm. when we first started off just to sort of get the name out there. We'll re- again, we're really selective with it. Um, we still do do influencer marketing but not paid. It's, it's you know, free product for post sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, which which is really effective. That's that's I think a very fair way to do it because yeah. you're giving them what seventy dollars of value and a lifetime of value with the product, but um, you know that if they're going to post about it, it's because they really like the product. Yeah, you know, so it's a very pure way of telling whether you've hit the mark. Yeah, yeah it's true because we uh, quite often we'll we'll give out a product and you know there's no guarantee that they're going to post about it. So it's kind of nice yeah. if they you know if they do post about it. You assume that they're actually using the product, which mm. is what we want. So, absolutely. So, um, what's it like in terms of the Australian Open and collaborating with other major partners? Do you kind of hit them up, or what, how does that relationship start? It's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, we we're trying to be more proactive on it. I think up until now, a lot of it has been reactive, mm. just given that we've got a relatively small team. Australian Open was. Chris's work, actually. Yeah, this is right this is a good. Yeah, Chris, Chris let's bring in our spe- <laughs> special comments. Maybe hustle up to the well, mic and, and, and uh, while, tell he's, the story. while he's moving over, I guess this was a this was a collab that we had been wanting for years, and Jesse and I had been talking internally amongst the team about how do we do this, how do we do this. Um, we never got around to. I mean, we're not the best. We're not the best salesman, Jesse and I. We we're not great at networking and just. Are you joking? Oh, no, I'm completely serious. We, we generally <laughs> do the non-sell. Yeah, you know, we're like, well, you can buy it if you want. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you just just spend time with us and decide whether you want the product later. Anyway, so Chris, yeah. do you want to tap the floor? How, how did it all come about? Yeah, it was it was an interesting situation, Mike, in the fact that um, long story short, but wife and I were running our own sort of side hustle at the time, and a, a customer came to our house. We were doing some sort of breakdown of, I think it was a five-day lockdown at the time. We had a, a brand that had apparel and we were selling some product at that time and we gave a local pickup option for people within that 5K bubble. And the, the person that purchased this product had a, a specific email address, which was a, a tennis email address, Tennis Australia Classic. email address. So the, the natural, you know, cogs are turning, the sales cogs were turning in yeah. my mind. I'm like, oh, I wonder who this person is. I'll find out. And then... Basically, they came to the house, picked up the product, and then I put a memo bottle in their bag. And that particular person introduced me to the franchise team, the licensing team, the retail yeah. team. So it kind of that's, that's, happened organically that's in elite, a way. That's I guess. elite relationship development 101. Yeah. Yeah. Again, guerrilla marketing. Throw that guerrilla marketing. Bag. Absolutely. <laughs> but the thing was that the, the product was presented to them at the time when I met them and they liked it, they knew about it, and they were keen to do something. So as the boys have said, they've tried to get with Australian Open in some capacity over the years. And this just happened organically and they saw the product, loved it, and then introduced. So it was a very yeah. positive experience for, for both of us. Yeah, sounds really great. Um, yeah. How do you leverage something like that? Because obviously, you know, something having Australian Open as a name that you've partnered with is significant. Mm-hmm. So do you kind of then that helps you to go to other events and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. It's a really nice case study for mm-hmm. us now. Um, the Australian Open was great. We had the retail presence there, but we also had a a collab product with them. So uh, that allowed us to be selling within the merch stores of the Australian Open. Australian Open were pushing us across their their website and socials as well. So it gave us a little bit of street cred, I think, um, especially amongst that. We we just launched a new range. 
which was the the silicon sleeves, the bottles, which sort of provided a bit of color into the into the product mix and brand, and also sort of opened us up into that um, outdoors sort of sporty scene as well. Mm. Um, so I think it's now going to work for as a, as a nice little case study for us to approach upcoming events. So you'll do some more site activations, events, and all that kind of physical presence stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the next year it could be a bit of a focus. Yeah, mm. be it's- nice to. Yeah. yeah, And so uh, a big part of your job then, Chris, would be to kind of be the, the active person looking for those opportunities to, to raise a conversation like that. Definitely. Do you yeah. always have that in the back of your mind? Always. I mean, it's uh, we, we, we're across the whole business, all of us, and we kind of lean on each other through everything. And Jono's probably in my corner more in the sales uh, space and we sort of work together on, hey, what about this brand or what about this store or, you know, what's a good opportunity where we sort of bounce off each other and, with Jesse as well, um, but it's always in the back of my mind. If if an opportunity knocks, you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll go after it. You yeah, know what I mean? So it's good. Always got the bottle in the hand, and yeah, you, know, you guys always and, all yeah. have the bottle in the hand. You're like yeah. the living being the brand thing. Practice I mean, you don't you, preach, you don't yeah. have t-shirts or hoodies. That's I think that's disappointing. We've got t-shirts? <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Well, you don't wear them. Uh, <laughs> Mike, it's winter. <laughs> it is winter. Sorry, I forgot that I'm so big that you know my way. I can support my life during winter. So you know, it's different for you guys, maybe. Um, what about would you do other merchant stuff as sort of like sold products? Like, would you go into selling t-shirts or anything else? Or is that kind of just a bit beyond the pale? Yeah. Yeah. Probably a bit beyond. I think. Um, at the moment, like our idea is to create a, like a reusable ecosystem. So we want to be, you know, tackling, um, you know, uh, plastic bags, um, you know, plastic containers and that sort of thing. And so I think that's our primary focus at the moment. And then once we've sort of, uh, you know, achieved that, um, yeah, who knows what's going to be next, but. Well, I see a bit of an evolution in the brand in that you're now talking more about the reasons that you do what you do. Mm-hmm. You wrote a really good article earlier in the year sort of talking about the problem of plastics and part of the solution. And, you know, I know you guys are on the media circuit a bit doing like a lot more kind of talking events. Um, how, how does that kind of feel to sort of be moving more into that space of thought leadership and not just product leadership? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Over the, the years, um, you know, you can get so consumed in the day to day of running a business. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you right down there, you're being the technician, you're working on all the little problems that there are, and you sort of forget about putting yourself out there, um, you know, on LinkedIn and sort of trying to raise the awareness um, and sort of become more of a face of the brand. Uh, from the start, we, like with our first Kickstarter campaign, you know, John and I were front and center and we talked about, you know, the vision and everything that we wanted to achieve. Um, so we have been behind it. Um, but we did shy away from putting ourselves out there for quite some time. And, um, I think this last year, um, you know, maybe it's been COVID and, you know, being in lockdown for a number of months that we were just sort of like, it's, you know, it's time to really put ourselves out there. And, you know, it's, we have an opportunity to spread the word um, on a personal level and try and create a personal connection. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do at the moment. It's, it is daunting. Um, you know, there's a lot of the, you know, being on a podcast and being on a TV show and all this sort of stuff. They're all new experiences for us. And so, you know, it, it can be scary, but it's also super exciting. Well, I think it requires a lot of courage to just step into that. I don't think it's something that, you know, you're going well enough that you didn't have to start doing all this stuff, but you've decided to take it on. Um, is it a matter of waiting till you've found your own comfort and voice with what you sort of stand for? Like, obviously, the product has a really strong identity, but finding your own way of talking about yourself, you know, the problem, the solution, has that sort of taken a bit of time? Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, there's probably an element of, you know, imposter syndrome back in the day. Um, you know, when we um, first, like in the first couple of years, we'll go to events and, you know, we'd make sure that we had, you know, shirts and ties on and sort of trying to fit into, you know, that corporate world. And then after a while, we're like, well, we just got to be ourselves, you know, mm. we're we're okay to go on a podcast and just be relaxed and not try and be like super professional. We just be who we are. And, um, that's what I think, you know, suits us. And now we just, yeah, try and push that as much as we can. You know? And I think the year started going by as well. Like we've been running this, we realized today we started memo seven years ago, which is crazy. And we haven't had, well, you know, we're ticking along 
relatively well, but we haven't had that huge Im- impact that we were hoping for. Mm. And we can go. We know how far we can take this thing. We really believe in it. We're passionate about it. And I think, um, I think we just over time just realized that we need to sort of really embrace that vulnerability and and just put ourselves out there and and sort of really be the face of this brand, um, which I guess is you know you call it you call it a pr circuit i don't know if it's quite a pr circuit but we're i prefer i prefer thought leadership okay let's let's go (laughs) let's go with that one um yeah but we're definitely we're passionate about what we do and we 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 really want to push this thing um and we think we've got some big things to talk about over the next year or so what might some of those be john it's a bit of a teaser Uh, it's a little bit of a teaser we've got a by the time this is released we'll have a kickstarter campaign going with a whole new range of um products what are they sorry i mean that was me my internal voice yeah, <laughs> just popped out didn't mike it? look you're gonna hear it here first so yeah. here we go so Exclusive. Yeah. we are releasing stainless steel a stainless steel member bottle range whoa yeah um, is it so, shiny um it's not too shiny so it's actually it's, it's got a powder coated matte finish Ooh. on it so they'll be coming in black and white it's got laser etched details Ooh. Um, you know, a CNC'd mouthpiece with a you know a, a hidden thread. You can tell, like, you know, I get this is some this gone stuff, so. platinum this, water bottle shit. This yeah, room's this getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know, hopefully, it will be the only water bottle that you need. Like, yeah. it is going to be. It's ridiculously strong. Yeah. Um, you can have this for a important very long question. Time. Does water taste okay out of stainless steel VS glass? Um, well, it's up to personal preference, really. Um, you know, I think, you know, some people can taste things better than others. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But the personal preference thing is, is why we are launching the stainless steel range in the first place. I mean, we've got the current metal bottle range as a BPA free plastic material, yep. which Jesse will touch on after this. You, I know that you, you were alluding to the, the, the plastics, um, opinion piece we put out recently, but, it's not for everyone. A lot of people want to completely avoid plastics entirely. Um, so, and we want to make sure that we're providing a completely reusable solution to everyone, and not and not you know. So, you get, are people. you going to phase out the plastic problem? No, absolutely no. They've each they've all got their purpose. Um, different so, scenarios. Yeah, the the BPA free plastic bottles are super lightweight. Whereas, you know, the stainless steel ones are a fair, like not too heavy, but they're a bit heavier. So it depends if you're looking for, you know, a, something that's beautifully, beautiful for carry or you, you know, want to go for a different option, which is a stainless steel, then, you know, you can sort of mix it up. It's, it's hard to go past the transparency as well of the, the plastic bottles. Yeah, it is hard. Point of view, I like know. it. I mean, so, I, I think it makes it look more minimal. That could yeah. be why you can see yeah. the fluid. Yeah. So they're, they're both going to have their, their use cases. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll, they'll, both perform well alongside each other. Yeah, for sure. Random questions. Um, how much do you guys actually enjoy water? And is that normally what you've got in your drink bottle or do you mix something else in or have a different combination? Um, I mean, yeah, I love water. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, I, this is I a far more boring activity than I, love I water. anticipated. <laughs> But it, it's funny, like I these I still don't <laughs> drink probably enough water. You know, like I'm a co-founder of a water bottle business and I, I still need those reminders to, you know, make sure that I'm chugging enough water each day. So, you know, sitting next to Jono in the office is a good reminder because he probably drinks about 10 A5 memo bottles a day. I do, I do see him going to the bathroom a lot and I'm thinking, is he just having a wanderer or what's going on here? It's my excuse to get out of the office. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, water fan, generally? Generally, yeah. I'm, I'm probably filling out mine the same as Jono every day, whether it's the A5 or the A6 or the sling. It's always been topped up. Yeah, Jono, obviously, I'm, I shouldn't bother asking, but do you enjoy water? I love water. Yeah. Do I? Do, do I? Yeah. You know, this is the first podcast we've ever, ever had where I asked that question, do you enjoy water? Yeah. Who would have thought it would take 203 episodes to get to such a great topic, a peak of our, it's a, our performance? It's a profound topic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason I raised it is because I don't actually enjoy the taste of water. So I have a huge range of cordials in, in the fridge, mm. and I, I just wonder, you know, like, do you kind of have you ever got feedback from customers around putting different things in the water bottles, like whether it's or it's mainly just for water? Um, 
We market it as water, but yeah. you can really put anything in there. I yeah. mean, you, if you want to, you can carry a bit of gin around in that Ooh, bottle. Okay. So, um, so it's transparent. It looks a bit like water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, but, your your mana bottles, I noticed, always on your desk. So if it's not water, then what is it? Who says it's not water? <laughs> I didn't say I was enjoying it, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's an important part of shredding, as I'm sure you know, is to consume <laughs> adequate water. So that's why we do it. You can put hot liquids in there as well. So that's, um, <laughs> you yeah. could, you could. Yeah. It, so, so they're safe for hot liquids, like tea and everything. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Didn't yeah. know that. Yep. Yeah. You, you learn something every day. Right. We just bring we bring Chris in. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy. Anyway. Special comments is here tonight. He's uh, added a lot to the to the show. Anything else in the new product range, or is that is that the, the main kind of showpiece announcement? Yeah, that's the only um, sort of announcement I could give you tonight. Yeah, Mike, so. fair enough. Yeah, so we have no more exclusives uh, promised to me. That's fine. <laughs> Next that's time, fine. maybe we'll come on for show. 300 and then there'll be a more to talk about there. Yeah. Your family members, I didn't realise. <laughs> <laughs> Presumptuous uh, gentleman across from me here. Um, now, look, we are super excited about your new product range and, and everything you're doing. I mean, one thing I was wondering, wondering about is how much do you kind of, I know you, you're B2B, but slightly differently, do you meet up with other similar social enterprises or water charities and sort of talk about what you could do together or do you talk to government or like sustainability Victoria about what you're doing or is that just a bit not yet where you're at in terms of extending the dialogue? It's not where we're at yet. It's something we do talk about a lot. Um, and I guess it's part of, you know, what we we're speaking about before about starting to put ourselves out more. We, we've, we've, for the last couple of years, we've been quite internalized, I think, in the, in just creating the structures and everything within the business. Um, but yeah, we, we, we really want to start pushing those things. We do, you know, as, as Jesse mentioned earlier, we do work pretty, really closely with our partner, water.org. So in terms of, in terms of those, um, donations and everything, we're, we're across that and sort of got all those metrics in play. But we, um, yeah, we'd love to start pushing that a little bit more. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's also, uh, like brand partnerships that we're talking about before, like, um, we, you know, we're, we're trying to meet up with different brands that are on the same mission, like, you know, Single You Saint Sexy. Yep. Um, oh, who, you mean Josh Howard? <laughs> yeah. We haven't actually discussed Josh Howard yet. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so meet up and, you know, he's trying to reduce single-use um, water bottles as well. So, you know, we've got a common goal. So hopefully there's, you know, things that we can do together and, you know, there's all different brands like that. We've got a collab exciting. product coming out. Potentially oh, really? With Josh Allen. That's I'm actually, a scoop for you. I'm actually really happy that I got you guys together. My, yeah, my, only yeah, regret is, my only regret is I think you guys like hanging out with him more than me, but I'll, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll move on from that. We I'll, haven't done I'll a podcast with him yet. Has he come to, actually, Palmer, no, Fri- has he come to Palmer Fridays? Uh, no. No, not yet. Let's keep it that way. That's exclusive. Exclusive. Sorry. We won't disclose where we always go. <laughs> Despite Every many time. attempts to change, hard to change sometimes. Creatures of habit. One thing I, I noticed from the get go with you guys, even in the free space, and you know, then you had an office and whatnot, is the um, just you got a, a culture of just good guys who enjoy hanging out together um, and girls at times. Um, but it, it's just like what what have you learned about? how to create a good office culture where people love your company and want to stay working there and are happy legitimately at work, it seems. Well, we created Memo because it was, it was a, you know, other than the passions that we've spoken about, it was to create a, a lifestyle for ourselves. And I think we've, we've tried our best to, and Chris can probably jump in here. He's nodding his head, but I don't know if he's just no. doing that because we're looking at it. Um, <laughs> we've tried to create a workplace and a culture that really, um, really embraces that. So for example, when we, when we started, I was living in the U S Jesse was living in Melbourne and for the first, he, he went traveling with Diana, his partner. And for the first 18 months, we ran memo completely, you know, automated online from different sides of the world. And we started employing our employees with that same sort of um, same model. So we had no physical office. It was a bit of a nomadic business and they were welcome to travel wherever they wanted and work from wherever they wanted. They were welcome to work whatever hours they wanted as long as the jobs got done. Which is, and it's still relatively um, like that, I'd say. Like yeah, we do have, we do have an office now. Um, with you in the in the beautiful comments, but um, but I, I think just being able to provide that flexibility and trust in, in all of your employees is just just goes a long way. I, I don't know if you want to. <laughs> no, like I, without yeah, 
I, I sort of came from a similar background of being in a very typical environment where it's a nine to five, I guess, type headspace and more, you know, accountability for where you are all the time. And it, it didn't really allow for you to flourish in that environment. And I kind of craved a, a community, mm. you know, and, and not so much a big company that you get lost in, but I, I see more value in creating change with a, with a smaller group. And, you know, it's for lack of a better term of brotherhood in, in the sense of the people that are in this room. Um, but you, you feel like you just achieved more. You got more respect for the brand and the people that run it. Yeah, and it's yeah, you work harder. And I think yeah, I came from public accounting where it was that show face mentality. You're not you know you're not being there. You're not there being efficient. You yeah. are there with just because you know the client needs to see you in their in their boardroom or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's just not that that is not where creativity and productivity come from. And we. We try our hardest to sort of not have a hierarchy at Yeah, We're a small team, so we try and make it so that we're all on the same, like, level playing field. And, you know, everyone, you know, even if you're not in the product design space, if that's not your specialty, um, you know, everyone's welcome to, to throw their ideas in um, and hopefully be listened. That's what mm. we try to do. So. It, is good. it is good like that. Everyone sort of, there's touch points for everybody within the whole business, which is really nice. Awesome. And are there certain kind of rituals that you maintain to try and kind of stay close as a group or that you just do naturally? Like I noticed Palmer Fridays is definitely like a good one, but do you have other kind of things that you try and do regularly as a team? We do. Uh, I think COVID um, sort of implemented that a little bit more strictly than than what we previously had. We're, we're probably a little bit maybe loose, I think, yeah, coming into definitely. that. But it's really structured. We have our Monday meetings, every meeting, every Monday, sorry, where – we all come in and talk about our five key priorities for the week and a bit of a status update on, on where everything's at. And then, you know, the first of every month, we do a bit more of an extended version of that. And um, and we drink a lot of tea as yeah. well. So right. we like to, you know, you just put it out to the team. If you feel like a cup of tea, then just hook up with someone on Slack and, and have a cup of tea, you know. Fantastic. Have a chat. Same with coffee or it doesn't apply? Um, yeah, we don't discriminate against beverages. It's, it's yeah. respectful of you, unlike <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, gentlemen, fantastic conversation. I'm really, really looking forward to eating dinner with you now. It's yeah. going to be really delicious. Likewise. Um, and just really enjoy sharing the commons with you and, you know, that we met and have the common bond. And, um, yeah, it's just a great thing overall. So I want to thank you for coming in. Uh, where can people connect with you online and your, and your beautiful products and learn more about your work? Probably the main place is memobottle.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram as well, LinkedIn, um, and you'll be able to see all the products there and, you know, sign up to the mailing list because we, we like to send out, you know, a lot of, um, you know, content about our mission and, you know, how we're tracking with the, our impact. And then also, you know, those new product scoops, which, you know, you've, you're here, here first. But, We've got uh, an exclusive. <laughs> Do you have a regular column about Josh Howard or...? Um, no, it's coming. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I feel like that's essential these days. And, yeah. you know, we are on this PR circuit, as you refer to, but <laughs> feel anyone listening can always just hit me and Jesse up. We're on LinkedIn and shoot us an email at Jonathan at Memo Bottle or Jesse at Memo Bottle. We'd love to hear from anyone that has any questions or just wants to chat. Um, yeah, give us some here. feedback like, sure. about the product and the brand. What about and- could people just walk up to level one on the on the commons and <laughs> come and you know hit you up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, come and join us. <laughs> That's what I did on Friday. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Palm of Friday. Jump in the WhatsApp group. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> We're gonna have to start booking, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no walk-ins anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much, fellas. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.